when my boys, and I have one more in addition to these two, a 16-year-old, um, but when all of them were babies and they would cry through the night, I would sneak into their nursery and just put my hand on their tummy or on their back and immediately they would calm down because they knew that that touch meant mom was there and it was okay. All of them now, from the youngest who is five to the oldest who is 16, still want mom to rub their back and scratch their back. Even when they've been bad all day, they love that touch. Touch communicates love. But scientists say that good touch also reduces stress, it nurtures growth and development, and it forms bonds. That's why you've probably um, heard now that they say when a, when a baby is born in those first few hours and, and even up to the first few months, it's so important for them to have skin-on-skin -skin contact with mom and dad because it forms that bonding. That touch lets them know that they are loved. But, you know, touch isn't just for babies. Think about, for some of us, this is a longer think about than others, but the last time your grandparent patted you on the lap. I, the, my grandma used to do that a lot. I think about that a lot. Or think about holding hands with your child. Or think about getting a really great, relaxing massage. Or think about that unforgettable first kiss. Oh, we got an amen. Oh, <laughs> major hog, we should have known. During the crazy times of these last couple of years when we've really had to restrict the amount of touching we do, we don't do a lot of handshakes, we, we hug only a select few in our lives, and for some of us who are touchers and huggers, we have struggled a little bit with that lack of contact. Imagine what it would be like to be someone who nobody ever touched. I didn't plan to talk about this, but it just popped into my head. So I will tell you, when uh, one of our appointments, we were stationed in Mountain Home, Arkansas. Have y'all heard of Mountain Home, Arkansas? <gasps> Two people have, we're famous. Uh, it is a very, very small town. Now, I will tell you, I am a little bit of a germaphobe pre-COVID. I was all about, you know, let's only hug people we know kind of thing. Um, but there was a man in our core. His name was Bill. And when I first got there, I noticed Bill because Bill had very, very poor hygiene. Bill was um, blind. He lived alone. Um, he was very reclusive, like he was not inviting you into his home ever, 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 no matter what. Um, and he was mean. Oh, he was mean. And he would say inappropriate things. And oh, my goodness, I had a tough time with Bill. Well, I was flying somewhere, and I'm a really nervous flyer. It doesn't matter how many times I do it or that I read the statistics about how safe it is. I'm always nervous when I'm on a plane. So I talk to Jesus when I'm on a plane in case we're about to meet. I feel like that's a good thing to do. So um, on this one particular flight, I was just praying, and I got out a little notebook, and I started writing down the names of the members of my new core that I didn't know very well. And I was praying that Jesus would reveal to me what do I do for these people? What impact can I have on them in the three, four years I might be there with them? And I got to Bill's name, 
And I just felt as strong as I've ever felt God say anything to me in my life that you need to touch him. And I thought, you know what I think about germs? And I don't think he's ever taken a bath in 60-something years. And God said, this is what I want you to do. And so I prayed about this long and hard. And that next Sunday morning, this is not safe from harm probably, but I went up and I kissed Mr. Bill right on his cheek. And (laughs) dad said it was cool. Um, And he was shocked because I don't feel like anybody's ever touched him. Not in his probably, not in, in 20 years or more, maybe other than maybe help him up and down the stairs. And I started to do that every Sunday. And let me tell you, something changed in that man because of the ministry of touch. Um, When we got moved from that appointment, we got moved out of season and it was a quick move and he was in rehab and we only had 12 days to move and we didn't get to go see him. But he, I called him on the day before we pulled out of town and he just cried and talked about how God had worked through us and he was going to miss me and all of this. And then he died about a month later. Um, But I think about him all the time when I think about our willingness to reach out and touch someone. Now, I might have had some issue, and I might have had to wash my mouth a couple times, you know, as I was getting used to what God was telling me to do. But that man changed because he was touched, and he became just the kindest, kindest man. So I share that to say, imagine somebody that is just never touched. No pats on the back, no hand reached out to help them up, no high five, no squeeze of reassurance, just untouchable. The Old Testament, especially when we get into like Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, it talks a lot about what it means to be unclean. Now, when we say unclean, it doesn't mean that you've, you know, gone off and gotten dirty in the mud or like Mr. Bill maybe never had a bath in a lot of years. Um, It doesn't even necessarily mean that you were off participating in some scandalous behavior you could be deemed ceremoniously unclean for lots of different reasons. Most notably, um, because of skin disease. This is getting gross. Because of bodily fluids. um, Because of coming in contact with a dead person or a dead animal. And by eating unclean food. And if you were an unclean person, the only way that you could become clean again was by waiting a determined amount of time and then going through these set rituals to purify yourself. Until then, everything you touched, your clothing, anything that you sat on, it was all unclean and it all had to be purified. And if you were unclean and you touched me, then I got your cooties and I became unclean and I had to go through the whole thing as well. Now, there were all, these are really fascinating rules, and I would say, go, go and read them. They're really interesting. And there are all kinds of reasons that God would have given the people these laws when he did. They lived in community, and these things kept them healthy and hygienic. It guarded against infectious disease. But also, it taught them about purity and holiness, and it got them ready for a Messiah that would come and cleanse them once and for all. But these were hard laws to live by. If you were unclean, you stayed away from people. You weren't permitted to be romantic with your spouse. You weren't allowed um, to participate in any of the feasts or the celebrations or eat any of the food. Like, you couldn't even take a to-go box. If that food was blessed, you were not allowed to eat it if you were unclean. 
You were a second-class citizen. You were not allowed inside the temple. It would have been a very lonely time in your life. Now, for most people, this, this period of being unclean, it would have been short, maybe a day or a week Um, After the birth of a baby, it could have been up to a couple of months. Fun fact, if you had a baby girl, you were unclean twice as long as if you had a baby boy. Um, But eventually, you would be able to wash and to make sacrifices and to return to society. But that wasn't the case for everybody. There were some who carried this mark of being unclean, of being less than everybody else and it stuck with them. So we're going to read, and it's a longer story, so I want you to hang with me because it is good stuff, but it is in the fifth chapter of Mark, Mark chapter 5, and we're going to start with verse 21. So if you have your Bible, turn to Mark chapter 5, and we're going to look at that, starting with verse 21. It says this, When Jesus had crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, A large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that the power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see people crowding against you, the disciples answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha Koam, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to tell anyone about this and told them to give her something to eat. Now, in this account in Matthew chapter 5, we see two stories 
sandwiched together. We're going to talk about both of them today because Mark thought it was important to share them both together. And I don't know about you, but when I read those, I see a lot of differences and a lot of similarities that I find really interesting. In the beginning of the story, Jesus is on the shore. And you know, you see a lot in the Bible that Jesus goes in a boat and goes out to the water. Why is that? Because as soon as he's on land, he's surrounded by people because everybody needs something. So we see people gathered all around him and we meet Jairus first. Now he is a prominent man. He is a synagogue leader. He is familiar with Jesus because he bows down before Jesus in respect. And then he pleads his case, the case of his daughter. She's sick. She is dying. I need you. Please come and heal her. And so it says Jesus starts walking with him. Now the woman with the issue of blood, she couldn't be so bold. She would absolutely not have been viewed as on the same level as Jairus. She was a woman and she was unclean. According to Mosaic law, the medical condition that she had would have meant she lost the right to touch anybody. She really shouldn't even be in this crowd of people because what if she bumped against somebody and accidentally made them unclean? Mark tells us she was also poor. In verse 26, it says, She suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting any better, she got worse. Now, I can't imagine the pain and the procedure she would have undergone in that primitive health care Um, in those days. There obviously were not ultrasounds and laparoscopic surgeries and all the things we would think of that might help this woman. But whatever it was, whatever pain and procedure she had put her body through, it had left her broke and sicker than ever. So no, she wasn't going to stand in front of Jesus or bow before him and plead her case. But maybe, maybe when he walked by, if she could reach out and just touch the hem of his garment. We know the woman had been suffering with this sickness for how long did it say? 12 years. Now, we don't know what happened to Jairus' daughter. We don't know if she was injured or if she was suddenly sick or if she had been sick her whole life. We don't know, but I think it's really interesting that Mark also points out that she was how old? 12. So her whole life had been the length of this woman's sickness. You know, I find that account of Jairus and his daughter very moving because he was pleading for a miracle worker to come and work a miracle in his child because he he loved her and he had dreams for her that went beyond her 12th birthday. He wanted to see her grow into the woman that God had created her to be. And if you are a parent, maybe you understand that pleading that begging for God to intervene in the life of your child. Maybe your child, whether a kid or an adult, um, has dealt with sickness or drug addiction or depression or just being really far away from God, and you can't help but go to God and say, I had more planned for her than this. I wanted better for him. Please, God, come and fix this. Like, I can feel Jairus' heart in what he says. But before they even get there, what happens? Someone comes, friends of Jairus, to deliver the grim news that it is too late. That daughter is gone. But Jesus, 
Jesus, knowing that death did not have the final word on that day, says, don't worry, just believe. And then they get to the house and people are already weeping because what a sad day to lose a little girl with her whole life ahead of her. But Jesus goes in, not even thinking about this dead, unclean body that he is not allowed by law to touch, if you catch that. He reaches for her hand and says, Talitha Coam, little girl, get up. And she does, and then Jesus says, get this girl a snack, and everybody rejoices, and it is a beautiful story. But what happens to those who don't have a father to plead for them? They don't have a father to fight for them, to go to Jesus on their behalf, to believe in big dreams for them. Those who suffer alone, sometimes for years, those who are dismissed, avoided, even feared in society, where is their miracle? Back to the story of the sick woman. Sick for 12 years. And not just sick, but outcast, alone, and in pain. I wonder how long it would have taken you to give up hope that this was ever going to get better. How long would you have tried and hoped and wished for something to happen? How long would it have taken for you to just say, this is what I got in life. This is the hand I'm dealt. Maybe two years, five years, 10 years. And yet here she was, still so full of hope, so determined to overcome this oppression, so absolutely sure of the power of Christ that she believed all she had to do was touch his clothes, and that would be the end of this. That would be the end of all that she suffered for 12 years. Scripture says that when the woman touched his cloak, she was immediately healed, and that she was freed from her suffering, and that Jesus felt the power leave his body. I think about kind of like when you plug up something that takes a lot of voltage and everything else just goes, you know, just gets a little bit dim for a second. Mark 5.30 says that after Jesus felt the power leave his body, he turned around. And man, don't you want a faith so powerful it makes Jesus turn around that, oh my goodness, I want to believe so boldly and so unapologetically and so completely that Jesus turns around and says, who was that? When Jesus asked who touched him, the disciples were like, "Uh, everybody, like there's people everywhere. They're all bumping into you. They're all shoving. They're all trying to get to Jesus. But Jesus knew that someone full of faith had touched him, had reached out to him. And finally, the woman who was terrified, it says in scripture, probably because she knew she was not supposed to be where she was. She was not supposed to be touching anyone. She stepped forward She fell at the feet of Jesus, and she told him everything. Then Jesus spoke to this woman, this poor, unclean woman who didn't have anyone to speak up for her. And what does he call her? Do you remember? Daughter. He calls her daughter. Nowhere else in the gospel does Jesus refer to anyone by that title. But he called her daughter. I think that touch healed her body, but those words probably did a lot for her spirit. Two miracles, two very different people in two very different life situations, and Jesus treats them the same. 
And to the one who had no father to plead for her, Jesus calls her daughter. As if reminding all of us that that same desperation, that same longing that Jairus felt for his little girl, that's what he feels for all of us. Like there's none of us in here that is fatherless because we are sons and daughters of God. You know, we don't have any idea what happens to this woman after her healing. We don't even get to know her name, and I hate that. I hate that we call her the woman with the issue of blood. I want to know her name, and when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask because I want to know. But here is something that we do know. In Mark 6, 56, that was read this morning, it says, And wherever he went, he being Jesus, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. Now, I hope I'm not reaching too much here, but this is the next chapter. And I can't help but think, did they know to do that because of this woman? Because I want to believe that after she was made clean in every way that you can be made clean, she spent the rest of her life sharing what faith in Jesus did for her. Friends, I don't have to tell you that we are living in times that some days seem hopeless. I don't know if you guys are like me, but man, there was like a point this summer where I was feeling like we are almost free of this. I mean, you know, I was at summer camp with a whole bunch of kids and we were doing all the things that we have to do. But in the back of my mind, I was thinking, this is it. We're going to get past this summer and we are going to be free of this sickness. And oh, wasn't it disappointing to get to the late summer, early, early fall and start seeing all of this coming back. It's a struggle right now living through this pandemic and trying to keep ourselves and more importantly all the ones that we love safe but you know there is pain and brokenness and hurt in our world that goes far beyond this sickness sometimes that exists in our own home that hurt and that pain god we need you to heal us of our diseases this literal disease but also all of those diseases that are in our heart, that hate, um, that just sadness. I don't know about you, but I've, I feel like more than ever, I just see people who are so sad by all of the brokenness in this life. Hopelessness, that sin, that disease of sin that just creeps in and infects us so badly. Friends, this morning, if you are in pain, whether it's physical pain, because some of us have that, whether it's spiritual pain, whether it's emotional pain, whether it's trauma that you are dealing with from 12 years ago, whatever it is, if you're feeling like no one really understands what you're going through, I pray that you would remember this story. You would remember this woman. You would remember this Jesus. And you would be mindful of her powerful faith in Christ, but even more than that, how faithful God was to her. And if someone you know or someone you love is struggling right now, if they are dying in sin, if they are sick with despair, if they're tangled up in pain, may you be like Jairus, bold and believing, and go to the Jesus that you know and bow at his feet and plead for them. Our God is still a God that brings healing. Do you believe that this morning? He still does that with just a touch.
I've asked Evangeline to play for us. He touched me. Oh, he touched me. We're not, we're not even going to sing, but I know you know those, those words. But I just want us to have a time of prayer. And whether you're thanking God for how his touch brought healing in your life, or you're thinking about, man, I have pain here. I have pain here, and I need to go. I need to go to Jesus, and I need to reach out, even just to touch the hem of his garment, because I believe that we serve a God who heals. Or I've got somebody in my life that's at home that's dying, and I need to run to Jesus on their behalf. Whatever it is this morning, we're just going to have a time of prayer as the music is played. Let's pray together. Thank you.